It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 175 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the Juliana Pena cage side seat to Amanda Nunez's retirement, Nick John Braccia, number three. Nikolai, how do you do, brother? I am doing all right, man. I'm missing the Iron Sheik. Yeah. God bless Sheiky you know, baby. He hasn't, been, he hasn't been on my radar. Like, I haven't been seeing him on my feed uh, for a long, long time now. And then he passed away, which is, like, I guess, a little bit sad. Isn't there a story about the Iron Sheik? Was that Jimmy Snooker who killed his girlfriend and Vince? Oh, yes, yes. But, well, Snooker, yes, right? but there's, a, there's the opposite story of um, the Iron Sheik had, I believe, three daughters. And one of them um, was murdered by her boyfriend, and Holy that shit. crushed, uh, you know, crushed the Iron Sheik, who, by all accounts, was a, a noble and much beloved guy. Um, and it, it, I think, it precipitated, uh, you know, a lot of his struggles with substance abuse, and all that's wow. in, in the documentary about him. I but uh, just a, a tremendous athlete, a fantastic story. If you don't know the story, a tr- like a real Olympian, um, terrific. Greco-Roman wrestler and a bodyguard to the Shah of Iran at one point. Um, just all, a, yeah, all found, of that sounds pretty cool. And, and Nick, if you want to get further into this, because we only have a 14-fight card to break down, we only have UFC 189 to 289 to break uh, to, to talk about. Fine, well, let me yeah, say no. this one more thing, <laughs> please. Iran number one, UFC. I mean, UFC and USA. <laughs> 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 so, so Nick, we're gonna dive into and break down UFC Fight Night: Vittoria versus Cannonier. It's the card that nobody ever asked for. It's it's a, a card that only has three ranked fighters. Nick, only one fight that is that involves elite fighters, and that is the main event between Jared Cannonier and Marvin Vittoria. And you know what? None mm-hmm. of these guys. It's not entirely won. true. Armin Saryukin is an elite fighter. No, well, I, I mean one fight that involves two elite fighters. Oh, uh, got the, it, got the, it. The guy, okay, yeah, you're correct. Fine, go ahead. Damn right, the, the guy's <laughs> fighting has, 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 like, that fight makes no sense. But anyway, uh, Vittori Cannonier, it's probably not going to be very exciting. It's probably going to be super debatable decision, much like Cannonier's and Vittori's last fight. Each of them probably should have lost their last respective fights. Um, and the only two people to actually hold wins over either guy in the last several years are the best of the best at middleweight. Uh, Israel Adesanya, and of course, Robert Whitaker. So, you know, we're going to get to see who truly third place is as long as you you know, ignore the fact that they probably should have lost their last fights. And then, Nikolai, we got to talk about UFC 289, where Amanda Nunes dived, dove into her retirement fight. And, you know, this was this was a fight, I guess, if, like, you hitting a heavy bag is a fight. Uh, what were your thoughts on the main event, man? I mean, it's one of the few fights where I actually believe I could have done better than the fighter in there. Stop um, it! First round TKO. She was... Oh, I mean, yeah, I didn't actually think Nunes even looked that good. Like, I know her technique's never been great, but I just, yeah, I didn't think that she, I didn't think she was very tight. She was, she just feared her not at all and was aggressive as hell. And Irene Aldana just folded. Like, she had nothing. I haven't seen a deer in the headlights UFC performance uh, like that. In, in quite a while, I mean, Lauren Murphy, Valentina. Yeah, Shepard. I didn't see I didn't see that, so I don't know if it was as bad. It's hard for me to imagine Lauren Murphy 
like being outmatched i can understand but like i don't think this was just a case of outmatched it was like she forgot she like forgot how to fight it was very weird seeing aldana in that mode where it just seemed like she was really taken aback by the moment and for somebody with as many ufc fights as aldana for somebody with the kind of experience that she has i mean nick we're talking about 12 UFC fights, now, to be fair, after this one, but 11 UFC fights leading into this one. It's not like this girl's in her first or second big matchup here, and she's looked pretty good against serviceable competition, but I think part of what this goes to show you is that there is, there is something to be said for an extremely weak, weak division, and somebody who can rule over yeah. a weak division, much like Amanda Nunes, much like John Jones, who probably could have still been champion in a much better division, but... We'll never really know, right? And and they looked mm-hmm. steps above everyone else in their division. Yeah. Silva, I, I mean, that, mm-hmm. Silva's middleweight run. Like. You're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right, yeah. And and, and I think what we're going to see is, much like with Silva when he uh, gave up the title or lost the title, much like John Jones when he ended up, uh, retire, ended up retiring his light heavyweight career, with Amanda Nunes retiring, we're going to see this title change hands multiple times because we have a oh, lot yeah. of fighters I mean, with a lot of holes. We're going to have Juliana Pena, Raquel Pennington probably for the belt, and I'm just like, In wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, their, their combined losses have got to be like, I don't know, 15 or 20, right? Juliana Pena uh, has I mean, uh, seven or eight losses at the very least. And if I, if I remember correctly, I mean, like at one point, Pennington was close to 500, if not, if not at 500 when it comes to her record. And again, both of these women are women that – Amanda Nunes was able to dominate, even though Pena did, you know, was very fortunate to get that win over her by simply landing uh, the slip jab multiple times. I mean, honestly, depending on how she's feeling and where her health where her health's at, Valentina Shevchenko should be if she wants to go up and not like cut any weight. I know she's not the biggest. She I suddenly she, might want to, yeah. After this, I'm saying she she can. I absolutely believe she can walk in and be champion. If it was a little bit, if it was a little bit, if it was if this happened 18 months earlier. Okay, when she was still at the, the, the tail end of her prime, I think Shevchenko it becomes a two belter easily without Nunes in that division. But that's the thing is I don't think I don't think that Amanda Nunes has been in her prime in a while. I don't think Shevchenko has, and I don't think Shevchenko needs to. I think if Shevchenko, I mean, granted, it'll be a harder. I'm just saying it may be easier to go there than to beat Alexa Grasso based on yeah, this. this that, that's I mean. what it seems like. And and again, like I really thought that I thought that the Amanda Nunes that has been showing up to fight over the last several years. There's a decent chance I thought that Aldana would be, win the fight. The problem is Aldana didn't show up. Aldana did not throw. Aldana was scared of Amanda Nunes from go. And with the landed one that, great one great punch, yes, and you would think that would have given her confidence. Round. Hell of a hook. The first round too was it was I think it was a clean right hand if I remember correctly. Oh, I thought it was and, a left hook. I'm trying. Okay. You you might be right because the left hook is her big power punch, but I thought it was a counter right hand that she landed in that first round that kind of buckled Amanda Nunes. But for Arena Aldana to land 41 strikes, less than 10 strikes per round in a five rounder, really against anyone is just really rather disappointing, isn't it? Like that is kind of depressing, man. And again, she didn't show up. She got overwhelmed by the moment. She is, you know, I spoke last week about how the, she is older than Amanda Nunes, if only by a few months. So we're probably not going to see her contend for the title because the UFC will not want to give her a shot anytime soon. She would have to have some pretty spectacular performances against meddling competition, which is really all, all she has to kind of go up against that 135. She'd have to have some spectacular performances for Dana White to be like, all right, I have no choice but to give her the title shot against Raquel Pennington or whoever it is that might be holding the belt, you know, at that moment. Because again, we're going to see that belt 
belt turn over time and time again. And you're right, Amanda Nunes didn't look awesome. If Amanda, if Amanda Nunes was at her best, she should have wouldn't finished this fight. Aldana had no interest in fighting. I mean, Amanda was still relatively risk-averse, and maybe it was because of that shot that landed in the first round by Aldana, similar to the way that Mayweather took a shot from uh, McGregor, that big uppercut. I think it was in the second round, and suddenly Mayweather... Uh, put his foot off the pedal and decided, I'm going to wait out until he's tired and then I'm going to take advantage of it. I also don't think her power is what it used to be. UFC 200, you know, Misha Misha Tate's tough. She's not the biggest girl, but she's tough. We we would see in the early rise of Amanda Nunes, um, she was knocking people silly. She touched them, and you could tell, even if they didn't knock him out, they didn't like it. She she hit different. No doubt about it. She, she, you know, whether it's a change in approach or she was taking better care of her body because she was getting injuries by throwing so hard, I don't know. But she does not throw with the power that she was throwing with, you know, five years ago. Not even. Well, I, I think part of it, it's a lot like with McGregor, where McGregor relied on people making major mistakes and running into his left hand. And he did a great job of setting that up. He did a great job of motivating his opponents to run into him and and you know, allow him the opportunity to clock him with that left hand. Um, whereas with Amanda Nunes, people are genuinely afraid of her now, right? Like, Cyborg was not afraid of her. She got thrown out of there in 2018. Uh, Misha Tate was not afraid enough of her, and she got touched up terribly. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Ronda Rousey, you know, did, knew better than to be afraid of her, didn't know enough to be afraid of her back then, ran right into those big power shots. And so Valentina Shevchenko, even back in the day, like never really got rocked by her, right? It was a very close competitive decision. She's a very risk-averse, careful fighter. So again, a lot of it is based on the mistakes that her opponent are, or that her opponents are going to make. The way that Holly Holm froze and allowed for that head kick to land, right? That didn't have to ha- go that way. That could have been a five-round decision. Probably for Amanda yeah. Nunes, but Holly Holm froze and and literally just stood right in front of her. Amanda well, Nunes she got caught. She got caught throwing it. She got caught in an awkward moment off of a kick, like throwing it. Yeah, but she um, like, if I remember correctly, she froze in the moment. She gave Amanda Nunes several seconds to land that big high kick, and again, that was yeah. a high kick that that, that floored her opponent. Right, most people can get knockouts if you land a clean head kick on on on, uh, on an opponent. But yeah, Juliana Penny showed that. Amanda Nunes doesn't necessarily have the the most amount of heart, and we saw that earlier in her career. It's just in a really weak division, you don't necessarily need to have a whole lot of heart. John Jones needed it, right? In in a couple of those moments, he needed heart, like we saw against Gustafsson. So we know John Jones has that. We know John Jones is extremely durable, can take a serious shot. We know that he's extremely well conditioned, even in a high pace fight, even if he's not training all that hard. We don't know all of those things about Amanda Nunes, which is why I thought it was rather ridiculous when you declared her as the best fighter, period, in MMA. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, I, you know, again, best female fighter, yes. Her accomplishments speak for themselves. Her athleticism, her power. She trained with an elite team. Um, but Yeah, you know, that, was, you, that, was, that was not the smartest thing that I said. Yeah, but uh, to be fair, we, we've all had those moments in the history of MMA, right? Declaring somebody, like, I, I've often declared a, a prospect to be, like, something very special, and they turn out to fall apart. So, you know, it's, 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 it's easy to get caught up in the hype when it comes to this sport. But Amanda Nunes did her thing. She retired. Um, you know, is it unfortunate to an extent? Yeah, like, I, she's a good person. She seems like a good human being. She, her family with uh, Nina Nunes, I love that whole dynamic. I think they're working on a second child right now which is pretty special. And I, I hope that she goes off to the sunset and really enjoys her retirement. She deserves it. I do think, like... Well, she wants her, to coach. She wants to do, like, a Khabib thing and make new champions, which that sounds cool. Yeah, I, I don't think she has the potential to do it nearly as well as Khabib, but, you know, she, she can certainly she, she can certainly be a role model and a coach for, 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 some, for some, you know, talented fighters to potentially do well. Um, I, I will say, though, like, her whole, like, ending sequence, like, she set up this whole ceremony and... 
put the belts down, which was it's kind of a cool image to have the gloves with with the belts on both sides. Yeah, I liked the first it. First mixed martial artist to retire with two belts, but her screaming like, "I'm the champion forever! Everybody else is a fake champion in the future forever!" Like, come. No, oh, I didn't. I didn't hear that part. Okay. Come yeah, that's on, not that's dude. not cool. But I mean, but I, well, I was probably busy being angry at Juliana Pena, who is acting oh like God. an asshole. I mean, what an actual idiot! Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Is that the kind of thing that gets you the attention of mixed martial, uh, the attention of fans? Yeah, Donald Trump has done it. Muhammad Ali has done it. Uh, Conor McGregor has done it. It We've belonged on the other channel with Gotti with Gotti Mayweather. It's just like you're, get your, you're not kidding, man. It was get your crap I mean, out of here. Cringe. Like she is a naturally just from the heart cringe human being. Like she like. Henry Cejudo can only dream of being as cringy as she is. Like, well, know, so, yeah, with Cejudo, it's a shtick. Even with Colby, like, as much as I hate Colby Covington, like, that was just dumb. I think, I, you know, I don't, I think, I, I don't have any problem with with Nunez mentioning herself in the same breath as Anderson Silva. No, I have no problem with that either. I just have a problem. Again, not the biggest deal, but I just, I think it's weird that she's like, everybody else who's going to win this champion is going to be fake forever. Yeah, that's. I'm not, I don't love that sentence. Yeah, anyway, let's move on. We've got we've got limited time, and most of our fans want to hear what you thought about Benil Dariush and Chucky Olives. So what I thought there was very simple. Benil Dariush got overwhelmed by the aggression and power of Charles Oliveira pretty early. He was the way he was countering was like worrisome, right? We know we know that Oliveira just goes forward and just just puts it on you. Dariush didn't really go for a consequential takedown. He just kind of tried to on his back foot, just tried to like swing back in this haphazard way. And Charles Oliveira just put it the fuck on him. Now, Darius did get a takedown. He did get top position, but um, it wasn't going to be enough to hold him down, right? He, he is not Makhachev. And maybe Oliveira really did have a terrible night against Makhachev. It's entirely possible. Um, and I hope that he puts up a better fight next time. But I don't, I mean, I don't just, think so. But uh, Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's likely. But again, I think there's some confidence to be derived from Volkanovski's performance against Makhachev, even though I realize Oliveira is not Volkanovski in, in a lot of ways. He's uh, yeah, more well, dangerous than Volkanovski in every he way. He is, so, but the problem is it's not, even Darius did it, it's not hard to get Charles on his back, and I don't think he can get up against Makhachev. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. And but it does seem like in his training, he's been working more on getting up, which I think is great. Like, like yeah. the way that he's lost over the last couple of years was from bottom position. Even though he's known as a great grappler, and Benil Darius got that top position, but his grappling wasn't really elite enough to do enough with it. I think more aggressive ground and pound from there would have made a huge difference. He was going for his bullshit like body body head thing back from 1998 Tito Ortiz. Like, you got to be more dynamic than that when you have Oliveira on his back. You got to put some serious. Leather on him when you're in top position. Elbows, the way that Paul yeah. Elder did, yeah. Elbows. Uh, elbows, elbows being among a migraine. And you know, it's a weird dynamic with Darius bringing his family along with him. And I don't know whether that was a plus or minus. I know for me, being around my family, like that is my happy place. And so, you know, maybe I would have wanted to bring my family had I still been competing and, and have my family in town with me, uh, feeding off of the like. Literally, we have silly dance parties and we're always laughing and we're always snuggling and all that. Um, th- there's something to that. It, it just like I wonder, did he get good sleep? With you know, with a with a, I, I believe does he have a newborn baby or is his wife pregnant? I I, I thought uh, he has a second. I, uh, I I'm only uh, familiar with his baby. with his relationship with Jesus. I didn't even know what his family situation is. <laughs> no, he probably is a little bit closer to Jesus than his family, but it does seem like a family man. Even though his wife and him don't seem to like each other very much, if you hear them talk about each other, uh, they, they seem to be both pretty in love with their with their with their girls. Um, and me being a girl dad, I can relate. But. Yeah, I wonder if that was good for him. Uh, maybe it wasn't much of a factor. The bottom line is that Darius is not very durable, and Oliveira's gotten some really good fucking competition out of there. I think 
even including in my eyes, right? Like my view of Oliveira was soured. I'm the guy who picked him against Poria. I'm the guy who picked him against uh, Gaethje. Very, very few fucking people picked Charles Oliveira to beat those two guys. And then I chose Mahachev to beat him because I thought the stylistic matchup didn't favor him. And for the first time in a while, I chose a Charles Oliveira fight wrong because I edged Dariush, if only by a little bit. Um, look, great performance by Oliveira, and that's going to earn him the title shot. It's a shame because I, I was hoping Volk after beating uh, Yair Rodriguez, if he does, because Yair Rodriguez is extremely dangerous. After, uh, you know, if he does beat Rodriguez, I was hoping he would get that Mahashev rematch, but we'll see how that folds out. And then we got Mike Malat, who looked, I mean, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, really dynamic striker, striking coach at Team Alpha Male, or or at least evolve in coaching a team alpha male. The problem is that he gets caught early, and I thought that Adam Fugit had the staying power to to pull him uh, pull him into those later rounds. He pulled him into that second round, right? And Mike Malak, considering the output, considering the work that he did throughout that fight, he didn't look tired. He didn't look winded. Granted, I still want to see him in the third round before I declare him to be the prospect that he might just be. But this was a really impressive performance against a fairly tough guy, an unheralded Adam Fugit. But uh, Fugit is better than his UFC record would suggest. No thoughts on no thoughts on this one, Nick. I, I just know. I mean, I'm just look. No, I mean, listen. I want to get it. I, I want to get to the uh, the card. The card no, we I, got I to talk it. about. So I was. I figured you had done a good job. Fair. So. Uh, Dan, Dan Ige, Nate Landwehr, Dan Ige just put. You know, he had the power advantage. He had the durability advantage. Nate Landwehr is a tough motherfucker, and he survived. Uh, still a super likable guy. Nate Landwehr is, and Dan Ige is too. He's just like a very undertoned. Not a whole lot of charisma on Ige, but he, but he's he's a he's got a lot of natural attributes that help him become great. You know, Mm-hmm. Great fight night, great fight night, co-main event and main event guys. Like just Agreed. those, they're always a show with both of them. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Mark Andre Bar, you had tough. Derek Anders, Nestor Dinamovov, Chris Curtis, Imavov, like I thought he would, was piecing up Chris Curtis. You, you I mean, were right was, about that. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was so one-sided. But then, unfortunately, the headbutt, which was you know closer to being both their faults than Chris Curtis's headbutt situation in his last fight. Uh, but you do also have to say, like Chris Curtis gets into a lot of he- gets into a lot of headbutt situations. And granted, the last one against Gastelum looked like it was almost exclusively Gastelum's fault. Um, you know, he does get into that situation a lot. And unfortunately, this time, he couldn't see and, and the fight was stopping. It's probably fair that it was. If Chris Curtis really could not see, then it's only fair, right? Like, he, he, he probably wanted to continue. I believe he's a tough guy that didn't want to stop. But, but you know, it, it made sense for that fight to be stopped. Jasmine Jessavity, just so vicious, uh, beat up Miranda Maverick. Like I Wow. Could, but I was too chicken to to pick Jasmine, even though I said she has an excellent chance of, of getting getting a huge dog win here for three points. I was too scared. I'll be honest with you. And I, I wanted that. Life. If if I had taken that dude, oh yeah. man, you would be in real trouble because I wait, was wait, gonna. Wait. For, for for the record, when I first said that I seriously considering picking Jasmine, you said you are too, and then you said no because I'm not stupid. So I, I don't know, Nicola. I'm not convinced that you were gonna pick Jasmine, but I, but I do believe that you thought she had a chance. Here's what I will say. Um, if I was watching this live and I had seen the performances of, of Steve Ersek, who's a, a, a underdog, um, I'm sorry. Uh, if I had seen the performances of Kyle Nelson, Deanna Belbita, and Alan, uh, and and uh, Alan, uh, Eamon Zahabi, I would have changed my pick to Jasmine. Canadians watching live. Yeah. Canadians. Yeah, man. That that crowd. You forget in Brazil and Canada how much of a difference that crowd can make, and it happens in Australia to some extent as well. New Zealand. Um, there are some some countries in which the crowd can make a giant difference. In Mexico, that can be a big difference maker, along with the altitude. Um, so you know, Luxembourg. I, I just, in Luxembourg, it's everything. Is that really true? No. No. Uh, Nikolai, I, I think that's all. Uh, by, by the way, Steve Ersig, 
phenomenal UFC debut. His stand-up looked way better than I thought it would. And David Dvorak, unfortunately, has a losing UFC record at this point. He's a he's a pretty decent fighter, but unfortunately not elite if you look at the guys that he's beaten versus the guys that he's lost. Mm. He can um, fall back on chess. He can, he can fall back on chess. And, and Nick, I think it's time for us to dive into UFC Fight Night. Vittori. Well, let's just refresh everyone here. really quickly as to the score in our competition are, and where the, do, where you, the dominance got, lies. You got two and a half points, uh, a two and a half point edge in this last event, Nick, which puts you six and a half points ahead. Congratulations, buddy. You are still not as far ahead as I have been this season. Oh, that, but- that's true. But you are getting, let's just, can we just say that for the last like three months or so, you've been getting pieced up. Yeah, not you, not you've, not you've been, knocked out, but pieced up. You you've been you've been out jabbing me, Nick. Is is what yes. it is. Uh, I'll land the occasional power shot, but you la- you're landing more jabs, and the and the judges are favoring. And that's the thing: the judges are favoring your guys more. Because I'm the Italian that, dream, baby. You think that's what it is? You think the the judges have a edge, uh, have a have a bias toward Italian fighters? Because if that is the case, then Marvin Vittori is probably going to do well this weekend. Uh, Nick, uh, we take turns picking fights in the upcoming card. Uh, regular pick is worth one point. If you pick an underdog of plus one fifty to plus two forty nine, and that underdog wins, you get two points. You get a, you pick an underdog of plus two fifty or above, you get three points, which I was too chicken to do uh, for Jasmine last weekend. Uh, Nick, I believe it is I who has the first pick. Are you sure? I'm actually not. Let me see here. Let me see. Um. So I picked uh, your your first uh, my first pick was David Dvorak and your first pick was uh, Amanda Nunes. I'm not sure which one of us made it first. Go for it, Nick. You take the first pick. You, I mean, I, I want to no, I want to be fair. I just don't remember. You need it, Nick. Go for it. Okay. I mean, the first pick in this one's pretty obvious. Uh, Armin Suryukin is good everywhere. He's an elite fighter. Um. Joaquin, oh my god, I gotta go uh, <laughs> play and mix and match with last names here. Joaquin Silva is 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 my type fighter with he was a BJJ black belt, like, and he's got some pop, like he can hurt you. Um, he's really good. It's just like he's a mid he's a mid level guy, and he's fight he's just fighting an elite dude. He's got a puncher's chance. There's no way he's going. I don't believe there's any way he's going to submit. So you can. Um, and I think that Suryukin should be able to have this fight go wherever he wants. So I, I just think that, you know, I think Suryukin um, probably, um, be, yeah, probably beats him everywhere because I don't think he's gonna, I don't think he's gonna stand at kickboxing, kick, kickboxing distance, and just meet this guy where his, where his strength is. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Suryukin is is not a great striker, but he's serviceable and he's improving there. But he's a great grappler. He's an elite level wrestler. He's an elite level actual grappler on the ground, man. He went tit for tat with Islam Mahachev in his UFC debut when Islam Mahachev was a was like in in contention territory already, man. And it was super close. And Islam Mahachev's ex- experience is what really won that fight for him. I think like a rematch would be awesome, you know, sooner or later down the line. I know he has that controversial decision loss uh, in on his record recently, but. I, I tend to think that you're right. Armas or you can is it something like a minus eleven hundred favorite here for a reason. And he's probably pissed. Table? He's probably still pissed from the Gamrot decision. Like right, I can, I can in that only fight. Imagine. Like he's and he's got to be careful. But like I just think he's too good. 
And that's the thing. The reason he has to be careful is that Joaquin Silva is extremely dangerous. He hits incredibly hard. He has flying knees, bombs, uh, bombs in his punches. The guy like is as I mean, he's as chiseled as it gets. He's he's almost as chiseled as I am, Nikolai. And and you know he's just as much of a finisher as he looks like. The thing, his guillotine is pretty good too. But you you go for that guillotine against Armand Sarukian, you're going to end up stuck on your back, and you're going to get outpositioned and outgrappled and outpressured. Yes. And I think Sarukian is going to be able to bully yeah. him. And he should. Just and also just to be clear, there's absurd odds here. It's it's minus one thousand, minus crazy. and higher, minus twelve hundred in places with Joaquin Silva's power, uh, putting down some cash at plus seven hundred. Not the worst idea. I mean, you can go for maybe plus seven hundred for Joaquin Twenty in the bucks. first round. Um, yeah. Because in the, in the like, well, as, in the first round it'll be more. In the first round, it's probably going right. to be plus, you know, plus fifteen hundred or something. Yeah, if if not more than that, because if Joaquim Silva is dangerous, it's early. He gets progressively less dangerous as as his fuel runs out. Right, like you can only afford so many explosions, and this is a guy who does not mind exploding and does not mind going for that finish early. My first pick is going to be. Uh, kind of a risky one in the matchup between Honey Barcelos and Miles Johns. Miles Johns is a serviceable wrestler, but we've seen him struggle against good opposition. The guys that he's beaten aren't really, like, they're not on this level. Now, I know Honey Barcelos is not looking very good. I know Honey Barcelos is in his, his mid to late 30s. Um, and granted, Miles Johns does have that win over Vince Morales, but if you look at his record outside of that, he beat Anderson Dos Santos in the UFC, Kevin Natividad, Cole Smith, uh, in the UFC, and another, none of those guys are in the UFC anymore. So Vince Morales is the only UFC-level fighter that he's beaten, and Vince Morales himself does not have a very good UFC record. Uh, I believe he is 3-5 and five in the UFC. So this is the kind of level of competition that Miles Jones loses to, and the thing is that his losses are to, uh, sorry, wins over. His losses are to John Castaneda and Mario Batista, very similar fighters. In fact, I've confused one uh, w- with the other. I'm, I'm a big fan of both guys. Really dangerous, high-output pressure fighters. And Honey Barcelos is an excellent boxer, is an excellent wrestler. It's not like Miles Jones' wrestling has been like the answer to all questions when it comes to his UFC career. Um, I don't think he's going to take down Honey Barcelos very easily. And look, Honey Barcelos is coming off of the most dev- devastating defeat of his career, right? And let's face it, he has won in three in his last four fights. Timor against, Malibu, I mean, against a, a future superstar, though. Uh, well, yeah, Umar Nurmagomedov was the guy who knocked him out, and it was a weird knockout, man. Like, it's concerning how light that shot looked. And it didn't even seem like Umar felt like it landed that clean or that hard. And so there's some concerns about his power, uh, about his ability to take punishment because Mouse Jones, you know, he'll hit hard. He has that overhand right. He has that right uppercut. He has that right hook. Like, I don't know if... Uh, he does have a decent jab, to be fair. But I don't know if he knows how to throw his right hand straight. But he does have power, right? So he can clip him. It's entirely possible. But I've got to go with Honey Barcelos, who's just... You know, he's, he's a bully by mentality. Unfortunately, he debuted in the UFC in his 30s, and now he's 36. At 135 pounds, that is the equivalent of being like 43 at heavyweight. So it's concerning, man, um, in that way. But again, Miles Johns, I think, is the kind of guy that he should be able to get out of there, despite the fact that Miles Johns is still in his uh, 20s. And again, 13-2 and two overall record. Like, it's a really respectable record. Trades with Fortis MMA. There's real risk to this, especially considering how bad Honey Barcelos has looked lately. And given my luck lately... Tony Barcelos is going to get clipped and knocked down in the first round. Uh, we'll, I mean, we'll see. But I had, I had the same pick. It was going to come a little bit later. Yeah. Um, I now I'm the one that says, "Surprise, you're taking this one so early, Stan." Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Listen, this is more a pick against someone than a pick for someone. But Jimmy Flick looked so bad in his last fight against not terrific competition. A guy that's lost twice since that fight. Um, still a good, a good fighter, but. Um, Alexander Costa, I think, is going to have everything to beat this version of Flick, um, who seems to be at a major 
strength and speed discrepancy um, since coming back um, from his three-year hiatus. Yeah, I tend to think you're right. Flick is actually a really good wrestler, and he's an excellent like opportunistic finisher on the ground. But he's been finished in a lot of his losses. Um, you know, he lost to Charles Johnson, who you know hasn't really hurt anybody almost ever. You know, certainly not early, right? He's not the kind of guy that just bulldozes through guys the way he did through. Oh, uh, he just Fleck. yeah. He was knocked out in the second round by Ray Rodriguez in 2019. Knocked out by Chris Gutierrez in 2018. He was knocked out by Levi Maulis in in uh, 2016. And and so on and so forth. So I I just I tend to think that um, Alessandro Costa, who like he he showed really good takedown defense against Amir Albazi, who's a really rough UFC debut on short notice, right? And then he ended up getting knocked out by Albazi. But Jimmy Flick doesn't have the cardio for flyweight, I don't think, to go lo- that long. Jimmy Flick is coming off of retirement, and anytime a fighter gets into that retirement range, you better be fighting in Arena Aldana, who's not willing to fight back for you to win. And I don't think that's going to be the case here. I, I tend to think uh, Alessandro Costa should do some things with with um, w- with this opportunity. You know, his chin may be ruined from that last fight, but he's not facing a guy that's going to be testing that chin. So uh, I agree with you. I think it's the right pick to make at this time. My next pick is going to be in the matchup, and and this this is getting difficult because I, I feel like it's hard to be confident in any of these mofos. I think I'm going to go in the matchup between Jalgas Jumagulov and Philippe Bunez. Bunez is a Pitbulls brother guy, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, Muay Thai purist, like just heavy, heavy power shot, leg kicks, right hand. He's got killer instinct once he hurts a guy, but he can telegraph and kind of wing his punches in a way that allows you to see it coming. And Felipe, you know, 13-6 and six record on kind of the local scene. So it's not, not exactly getting the most incredible results despite his high-level training partners and, and decent-level coaching. You know, spent some time at fight, re- fight Ready along with those Pitbull brothers. I think I'm going to go with Jalgas here. I realize that as long as Felipe Buenas makes, makes it to a decision, there's a fair chance that the judges will be just be like, yeah, we don't like Jalgas and we're going to continue to screw him over. Jalgas could have a winning record in the UFC. He has like something like a 1-5 record in the promotion. Literally, his record could be 4-2. and two. Like, a lot of those decisions that didn't go his way probably should have. And I'm going to hope that, you know, his experience combined with the fact that maybe the judges' own one will allow him to walk away with the win here. It's just concerning because he's not a finisher. But he's a high-up guy. He'll go for those takedowns, and, and I think that's yeah. where he can get the advantage. Uh, you know, there's not a ton of finishers in that division. I don't really hold it against them. Um, sure. So uh, this next pick of mine might be a little early, but it's more of a block because uh, I don't want you to have two-point opportunities. Um, I am going to take Muslim Salikov. Uh, a guy I like to pick over Nicholas Dalby, a guy who you like to pick. Um, I think that Salikov's style is really good for the judges. I also think he's a very capable wrestler, and that the co- and like Dalby may be able to pressure him a bit, maybe do some dirty boxing. Nicholas Dalby makes fights ugly, um, but I just feel like Salikov's be in higher levels of competition. He still looks pretty good. Um, Dalby isn't going to have, I don't think, the muscle or the grappling to put him in any kind of trouble. He may land more. He may land more significant strikes, but I can see Sal. I could see Salikov just landing the bigger shots. Salikov landing a spin kick. Salikov, uh, you know, potentially getting a knockdown. Um, uh, so I think I think this fight is probably going to be ugly, but that um, Salikov should be able to be crafty enough. Uh, and land and and land enough uh, land the more significant significant strikes. Yeah, I 
I mean, I probably would have gone for Nicholas Dalby. So, you know, you probably made the block at the right time. Salikov is a really hard hitter. He's extremely low output, though. I think he's a Sandoff fighter originally. Um, and he's up there in his mid to late 30s in this. They bo- well, they both are. Division. They're 38 yeah, and 39. So it's no, not that, like this that's is. That's totally you know. fair. That, that, that is totally fair. And to be honest, the, the, the more durable guy is Salikov. The guy with more power is Salikov. The thing is that Dalby is going to put that pressure on him. Dalby is a mm-hmm. fucking dog. If you don't get him out yep. of there, you might hurt him early. But if you don't get him out of there, he's going to outpoint and outpressure. And he's done it so many times, right? He's facing more athletic guys, more dangerous guys consistently. And he's pretty successful. So I probably would have gone with Dalby for the two points at these odds. Uh, but, you know, it's I'd rather lose. I'd, I'd rather lose one than, than, get, uh, than, than give you the chance. Two. I hear that. I'm uh, fighting, like, is, I'm fighting uh, like a killer now, man. Proactive and defensive. Uh, I would say you're fighting more like Israel Asani now, but that's okay. Um, I, I think I think Muslim Salikov. You would say that I, I can cuss you in the last card. <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, you're saying stupid <laughs> shit because I knocked you silly. Go ahead. Stop it! Stop it! Michael. Don't make him fool uh, yourself. Uh, you don't like losing. You don't like body. You're like no. I'm, yeah. l- listen, I, I'm okay. I haven't lost yet. We, we're only we're not even midway through this year yet, Nick. This season, mm-hmm. like like we're, we're we're just getting to the half point, Nick. Like, I got plenty. Yeah, no, of you time you might. It. Yeah, no, you do. You do have plenty of time, which is why I've got to do things like block you from picking Nicholas Dalby. Go for it. I, I respect it. The thing is, it, it basically, Salikov's power and low output against Nicholas' high output and like not the greatest durability and not the greatest power. Uh, but I just feel like Nicholas Dalby cannot pace him at these odds. Uh, if the odds were different, I wouldn't have picked this. You might be right. Probably, so. You might be right. Um, my next pick is going to be and and shit. Like th- this has been the case for me for many of these cards. Is like a lot of these fights are so close on paper. I think I'm going to pick in the Gabriela Fernandez Teresa Bleda matchup next. Um, Motherfucker, this is my next pres- pick. Presumably, that was going to be your next one. Yeah. Um, look, Fernandez is the better striker. She's eight and two, right? Not neither of these girls have even ten fights on that, or just barely ten fights on on Gabriela Fernandez's record. Whereas Bleda's six and one, but Bleda has an amateur uh, career behind her, and Bleda fought some extremely tough. Uh, an extra, I'm sorry, uh, her UFC debut was against, I mean, as tough an opponent as you could possibly face, right? The rudest welcome to the UFC and Natalia Silva, who, like, Bleda did really well in the first round, took her down, the only person to take down Natalia Silva, and then Natalia Silva just landed some bombs, and Bleda just kept fighting through it. She kept working through it. That was her first loss between her amateurs or her pro career. And here's the thing, fought and beat Lisa Pudilova back in 2020. Why in the hell is Lu- Lucy Pudilova uh, f- fighting uh, fighting an amateur in 2020? I don't know. But Lucy Pudilova is a pretty damn good fighter. And she beat her, dude. She's physically strong. She's large. Her cardio is a concern. Uh, she's durable, despite the fact that she lost via spinning back kick to the fucking dome in her UFC debut. Um, the good news is that was about seven or eight months ago. And so she's had a little bit of time to recover from it, which is a good sign. I don't know that Fernandez has the power necessarily to hurt her, but I've got to go with Bleda, who I think will likely hold her up against the fence, get some takedowns, and uh, and positionally outgrapple her for a decision. But I think these odds are way too wide apart considering you know how Bleda looked in her UFC debut. Yeah, that's what I would do. All right, now I'm going to take my two-point shot, if you don't mind. Please. Uh, In the the fight opener, which is not going to be fun. It's not going to be a good fight. I'm going to take the two-point flyer on Zach Pauga, uh, because I I just don't believe in Modestus Bukakis. And Zach Pauga has beaten, uh, he beat Jordan Wright. And uh, Bukakis, I think, maybe has a false sense of, He's walking into this coming off of a win on against Tyson Pedro, and I think Tyson Pedro is not quite, 
UFC ready. Like he's he's a dude, right? He's super hooked up in that um, Asian Pacific scene, um, and like I just you know he does, he's not a guy who fights with like a lot of will. I think Bukakis fights with a lot of will and just isn't that skilled. Um, so I think that you know I think Zach's got some pop and is probably going to hurt him. I understand why you would take that flyer, but um, you know unofficially disagreeing with the pick. The, the thing about Zach Pogas, is he does have a win over Jordan Wright, but you mentioned it as if that's an accomplishment. What's a better win? A win over Jordan Wright or a win over um, over Tyson Pedro? Jordan Wright. Are you, are, you, are you joking? I think it's a better win. Jordan, Jordan Wright. You think Jordan Wright is a better win? Jordan Wright, do you know what his UFC record is? I mean, do you know what Tyson Pedro's UFC record is? I'll tell you in a second. Jordan Wright's UFC record is... Two and motherfucking five. Tyson Pedro's UFC record, including high-level elite competitions, five and four. Neither of these guys are elite elite competitors. But here's the worst part about that Zach Bogo win over Jordan Wright. When does Jordan Wright make it to a decision, Nick? He gets blown out of the water by everybody he fights. He gets completely imploded by his opposition. And Zach Pouga went to a decision with the guy. That's not impressive to me. He lost by knockout to Muhammad Usman in his UFC debut. Uh, the guy, you know, making his UFC debut at 34, 30, he's 35 now, right? He's not exactly a young buck, and I know that that's more forgivable at 205 pounds than it is in other weight divisions. But um, if you look at Modeskus Bukakis, yeah, he, he washed out of the UFC. Lost to Jimmy Crute, which is not the worst thing in the world. He got knocked out by him, to be fair. He lost to Mikhail Olyanchik, which is not to be frowned upon by split decision. That's not bad at all. Khalil Roundtree broke his goddamn leg in half. And we all know how dangerous Roundtree is. Then he went back on the on the regional scene, beat a 28 and 16 opponent by decision, knocked out a 5 and 1 opponent, came in and beat Tyson Pedro by decision. I just feel like he's got more experience, he's got the youth, he's got more speed, he's got the size in this matchup. So I'm 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 favoring. Uh, I'm going the other way. But listen, this is a low, relatively low level UFC fight. Do either of these guys like really belong here? I don't know. But Zach Buga, only six and one of experience versus fourteen and five for, for Bukaskis, who's fought like some really elite competition. Um, you know, I've, I've I also got, like I the win over Marcus. I like also like the as a win over Marcus Perez. Marcus I think Marcus per- Perez would yeah. probably beat Modestus Bukakis. Like I don't know. Uh, he he. I mean, he could. He washed out of the UFC. He could. Both guys washed out of the UFC. Marcus Perez is a good win. I will. I will admit that much to you. That that, that is that is hard to argue with. Um. And and look, I see where you're coming from. This is a low level fight. It could go either way on paper. I just. Uh, I, I have I have to favor Bukakis in this one. But I understand where you're coming from. Um, and the one loss that he has is against a, a giant heavyweight. True. Who has very little to no skill, but that's true. Um. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between. Dan Argetta and Ronnie Lawrence. Dan Argetta is a serviceable, kind of well-rounded fighter. He's, he's, he's a wrestler. He's got some striking in his game. Ronnie Lawrence, you know, on paper, he can go for like two dozen takedowns per fight. He can land 11 takedowns per fight if he wants to, or, or you know, against the right opposition. But we have seen him get hurt. We've seen him have to fight through some tough moments. We've seen him get rather dominated, outpaced by Sayyidu Kurkumanov in his last fight. Um... And so, look, there's some durability concerns there, but 
I think all told, he should be able to get a bunch of those takedowns. Daniel Argueta, you know, he's a wrestler himself too. Like he might have the skills to avoid the takedowns. These guys both have 10 fights apiece, 8-2 versus 9-1. Um, but I have to figure, favor the guy who's more proven at this level. Uh, da- Daniel Argueta, again, he's a serviceable fighter. He's he's not bad at all. He's got that win over Nick Aguirre in the UFC. Lost to Damon Jackson on short notice as a smaller guy. He's a scrappy, tough, relentless guy. He will not give in. He will not give up. So, like... If the odds are close, which I'm not sure what the odds are. If the odds are close, it's for good reason here. I'm going to edge for Ronnie Lawrence, if only by a hair. What you got, buddy boy? All right. I was just making a note of that. Oh, boy. We're getting to the not fun shit now. Um, stuff's really tight. Most of um, this shit ain't just, fun. Yeah, quickly, because we, we got a little bit of time left. I'm going to go... Um, I think... I think Armin Petrosian is a, is a more complete MMA fighter than Christian Leroy Duncan, and is uh, and is durable enough. So I think that he can, if he weather. I think the first round might be rough, but I feel like Petrosian should be able to do enough to win a decision. Yeah, I. Uh... I, I disagree with the pick unofficially, mostly for one reason: is that Christian Leroy Duncan is a smooth, like really creative really like high level honestly high level striker in mma right he's super athletic he moves really well um works with phil halls in thailand which like phil halls may not be a great like mma fighter but he's probably great in the gym where the chin is less of a factor he gives up takedowns and he's not great at getting up though and that's their concern right he's got a 17 and 6 amateur record which is pretty darn good and the fact that he like felt losses but it's not on his official pro record i think it's to his benefit 7 and 0 as a pro 57 and 14 is the combined record of his opponents. So, like, if you look at Khabib's first seven opponents, Nick, it's probably the opposite. It's probably something like 14 and 57. 57 and 14 for his first seven uh, opponents. Um, the the reason that I'm going to edge toward Duncan is because Armin Petrosian is just high output. He's relentless. He's got a lot of heart. He's durable as fuck. He will never give in on himself. Um, and he does a lot of damage to guys that don't necessarily know how to deal with that kind of offense. But he's not necessarily like a clean, high-level striker. He's a guy that will just put the kind of power and pace on you that you're going to have a hard time dealing with. Armin Petrosian's leg kicks are a, a factor here and a real concern, uh, given that I'm picking Duncan unofficially. But I feel like Duncan, against the guy who's not going to go for takedowns, Armin Petrosian has gone for zero takedowns in the UFC. He's been taken down something like 10, 12 times in his three or four-fight UFC career. Um, for that reason, I'm edging Duncan, but I don't blame you for making the Petrosian pick. I, I, I think I think this is a fight that could go either way, and this is actually a really, really fun fight on paper, one that I'm very much looking forward uh, to seeing. My next pick is going to be... This is where things get tougher and tougher. I think I'm going to pull the trigger on the Pat Sabatini-Lucas Almeida matchup. I have to go for a two-point swinger here and there. I think I'm going to go with Lucas Almeida. I realize Pat, Pat Sabatini's got a 17-4 record, which is impressive. He trains with that Philadelphia team uh, with with some pretty like high-level, pretty respectable UFC. Uh, UFC, sorry, his teammates are, are some really successful UFC fighters. Uh, three or four of them having really good success. But Pat Sabatini, the way that he's been caught, the way that he's been dropped in the past, even in fights that he's won, Lucas Almeida is an aggressive, relentless, non-stop offensive power bomber. And Pat Sabatini is going to have a huge grappling advantage. But will he finish Almeida in the first... Like, will he finish Almeida early? I'm not so sure. I think Almeida 
you know, he has a good shot of starching him early. And if he doesn't, he, he, has, a, he has a shot at starching him at some points when the fight goes back up to the feet, whether it's because Almeida gets up or because the round restarts. So I'm going to take a two-point flyer on Almeida, plus 165. I think his relentless offensive damage and the fact that Sabatini, I mean, his striking looks, it, it just, it looks stiff. It looks robotic. And... And, and durability-wise, he's not looked that awesome, and, and that's that's a concern for a 32-year-old guy in this weight division. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the flyer on Lucas Almeida. What you got, buddy? Excellent, excellent. Um, you agree with boy. this one or no? Uh, yes, I do. I'm gonna go with um, El Loco, the Mexican lightweight um, Manuel Torres to take out Nicolas Mota. I mean, Mota's a guy that got, uh, he got finished. I believe he came in on short notice against Jim Miller uh, yeah. and got finished. Torres has power. He knocks, he's knocked guys out. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that Mota ate it. I think that, um, by the way, actually, it was, it was, I, it was Mota. It was Mota who fought Jim Miller. Uh, that's what I'm I said. Sure you, oh, he's okay. Sorry. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. Mota got finished by Jim Miller. I think that Torres, um, I think Torres has real pop. Um, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be able to uh, to finish Moda on the feet. Yeah, Moda is the more technical striker. He's got a serious, seriously uh, lead hook. But yeah, it's it's concerning that that he was taken out of there. But Jim Miller, to be fair, anybody who's making their short notice UFC debut against Jim Miller, like watch the fuck out. If you're not top fifteen level competition, you're probably gonna lose. You're probably gonna get starched. Um, Manuel Torres is not nearly as technical, but he's more durable and he's more creative. And I believe he's got the height, uh, the overall size and height advantage of five ten. Uh, against Nicholas Mota's five nine, it's a it's a slight height uh, height advantage. Um, I I tend to agree with you. I would have considered the the two points on Mota because I think the odds are a little bit too wide apart. But I, I tend to think you're right. Manuel Torres should have the edge here. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Carlos Hernandez and Denise Bondar. Bondar's athletic and high octane. Um, He's got that elbow injury in his UFC debut. It was about a year ago, right, where he came in as a big favorite over a guy that, uh, over a guy that, like, uh, I feel like he doesn't get enough credit in these sorts of matchups. Um, sorry, his, his his name is escaping me at the moment. Against uh, Malcolm Gordon, and Malcolm Gordon kind of put it on him, put the real, real, real pressure on him, and you know broke his arm uh, going for kind of a judo throw. And here's the thing, though, Bondar, like his opposition is not that great. One of the probably the best record of his uh, of his opposition leading into or at least of a win that he has leading into his UFC debut is a seven and one Kevin Jacqui, um, and outside of that we got a three two a one fighter when he was thirteen and three a five and three fighter when he was fourteen and three so like a lot of the a lot of the opponents that he's fighting really weren't ready for that level and then he's got losses to a twenty three and nine guy a ten and five guy back in two thousand sixteen two thousand seventeen and so like it seems like every guy with real experience even journeyman with real experience tend to do well against him. But Carlos Hernandez is not really all that proven either, and losing to Alan Nascimento is not a lot to be ashamed of. Victor Altamirano is a is a pretty damn good fighter, and he beat him. Uh, you know, For this level, he's a good fighter, and he beat him, which is to his credit. I, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edge Bondar, who's got a lot more fights at 16-4, and four, even though it's against much lower-level competition. But Carlos Hernandez has a decent shot of, of getting the win here. What you got, boy? Wait, what was your pick on that one again? I was just doing uh, my... Uh... B- Bondar by a hair, but I'm sure I'm going to regret this pick.
I mean, everything we're, pit- we're picking, we're probably going to regret. Uh, no, it, of which, it tends to go my, your way, Nikolai. These goddamn picks just magically go your way. My, or, or it's because I'm super skilled. Um, nah, can't be that. No chance. So, <laughs> um, I'm going to go with uh, Kyung Hill, Mr. Perfect Kang. Uh, 18 and 9 fighter, but a re- but a resilient and super uh, durable guy is taking on uh, Christian Quinones, and I just I think uh, yeah I just think I think Kong's the better fighter. It is a fair um, chance Kong can win this fight. He's he's recently started he, using his jab. Uh-huh. Yeah, the the one thing I was I mean the the one insight I have is like yes he did take a loss in the last fourteen months to Ronnie Yaya which is not which is disconcerting but the fact is Ronnie Yaya has one way of fighting and one path to victory and that's not something that Christian Quinones does. No, that that's true. But Quinones does have some skill. He's a solid striker. He doubles or triples up his jab. He's got good leg kicks. Trains at Antrim Gym, which is which is actually like a really really good team, or at least spent some time with that team. Is coming off a win over Kalataha. But Kyung Ho Kang, like, you know, size-wise, he, he's, he's in a good place. He's got a jab. He's got a shitload of experience. But he is 35 years old in this weight division, which is concerning. I'm going to disagree yeah. with you for kicks. Good, but... I mean, really good Korean team, too. Like, he's got yeah, his team yeah, is no slouch. No, 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 no doubt about it. But Christian Quinones is 18-3. and three. I know his brother didn't do too well in the UFC. Um, I, I guess I'll edge Quinones, but I, I tend to think you're right. Experience tends to favor, uh, tends to win out in these kinds of low-level UFC matchups. Um, next pick, uh, and this is the final fight, Marvin Vittori versus Jared Cannonier. So, you know, both of these guys, again, like I, I mentioned this earlier, both of these guys are coming off of wins that maybe should have been lost, particularly Marvin Vittori. And I, and I picked Dolize as a decent-sized underdog in that pick. I thought Dolize did way more damage. He hurt him in two of those rounds. Like, that should be enough to win you the goddamn fight. If you're both landing and you are hurting your opponent, you should have the and, edge of damage. And hurting Vittori is hard, unless Vittori's chin, unless Vittori, the damage is stacking up on him. I don't know. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Vittori's 29 years old. He's still relatively young, but he does have a shitload of miles on him, right? If you, if you, if you look at the guy's record, he is... He is uh, overall 19 and 5. We're talking about 19-5 and 1. He's got 25 fights on his record at 29 years old. And you're right, the durability is insane, but he was getting buzzed several times by an extremely dangerous Roman Deletes, both in the ground, both on the ground and on the feet. The guy is just an extreme finisher. And I think like a lot of people underestimate him and don't give him the credit that is due to him. Versus Jared Cannonier, who fought a super high octane, super high-paced opponent in Sean Strickland. One, that's with decision. In a fight where Sean Strickland landed quite a bit more, but Cannonier ended up landing the bigger bombs. And and I guess damage was kind of favored over uh, output in this one. Although, if you look at the stats, it looks like Sean Strickland only landed about 10 more strikes. I just I just feel like it's it's basically like the biggest factor, I think, for Cannonier is, yeah, he's got more power, but Vittori's super durable, right? It's his leg kicks. And his leg kicks can do some damage against Vittori, who doesn't really defend leg kicks. In fact, if Vittori had some answers to leg kicks, maybe he would have done notably better against Israel Adesanya, particularly in their rematch. And he doesn't really have the answers to that, and that's concerning, right? Um, again, Jan- Jared Cannonier's power is a big factor. Marvin Vittori seemingly can't hurt a fly. Um, I-, I think Jack Hermanson's the-, the one guy that he was able to knock down in the UFC. Let me see. His entire UFC career, he's got one knockdown, and he's landed, I mean probably over a thousand strikes at this point right so so not not a not a very powerful hitter but he does like he does have pretty good output um i tend to think it's, that mm-hmm. i mean they have to be working on his power though like some uh, then sure. again if he's, if he's going to sit down more on his punches is he going to be there to get caught by flusher strikes from a guy like Cannonier? 
Very well could, right? And 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 I think like the the size matchup here becomes a little bit more of a factor because part of the reason I think that Cannoneer took as many shots against Strickland is because Strickland is a pretty damn tall guy. Marvin Vittori is actually the slightly taller man in this matchup. He's got less reach though. Um, he is the southpaw though, and and I wonder how Jared Cannoneer has done against southpaws throughout his career. Um, just looking at his record, Kelvin Gastelum was one, but Kelvin was a a shadow of his former self. Anderson Silva's another, but again, a shadow of his former self. That's the thing, is that Kennedy's got a lot of UFC losses. Granted, his only losses in the last several years, ever since 2018, were 2-2 of the best in this division. And it just so happens that Marvin Vittori's only lost to Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker in his entire UFC career period. I'm going to give the slight edge to Vittori, who's got more no, Not entirely true. He, lo- he lost to, what's his, he lost to Shoeface, didn't he? Oh, yeah, super early in his UFC career. That's fair. Um, and, and that was, what, what was it, six or seven years ago, right? Something like that? I mean, it was a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I get, I'm going to edge Vittori um, because he's had overall more success, uh, certainly at this UFC level. He's beaten guys like Paul Acosta, which I think is, I think that's to his credit. Like, that, that's a pretty that's his sign. That is his signature win. I he went. He I think, went I think in. Kevin Holland is a decent win for him. Jack Hermanson's not a bad. It, it win. is, but that it was a. He was. He became a fan favorite there, even though he's kind of an unlikable guy because Costa was messing around on weight. They did it, if I recall, at light heavyweight, um, and he didn't give an inch. Like and fought. Like he, you know, he he fought like uh, he fought very heroically in that fight. Yeah, I do. I, I do hear that. Uh, so it's tricky. It looks like. It looks like Cannoneer's got the reach advantage by a good margin, but the fact that he's 39 years old, and granted this is middleweight where it's a lot more forgivable, forgivable than it is in any lower division, the fact that he's 39 years old to 29 for Vittori, uh, that being another factor, the fact that Vittori's extremely durable, the fact that he can put up a pretty high offensive pace, uh, I'm concerned that Vittori's getting too technical for his own good. Um, you know, kind of like uh, kind of like Munoz at 135 pounds, right, where where it, it just feels like he got more technical and a lot of what gave him success earlier in his career has become less less of a factor, and that's why he's having a lot less success now. And and Vittori's getting a little bit too technical for his own good because he's a guy that I think like putting high output pressure on his opposition is the way to go. It's just more difficult to do against a heavy hitter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edge Vittori ever so slightly, but Jared Kinnear can absolutely win this fight. I think there's a chance this could be boring, which is a shame. Um and, you know, I hope it's not. And I think there's a fair chance that, like, the decision could have gone either way and it'll be debated for, you know, hours to come. Because Yeah, I, I also think it's an up it's, – it's a – I don't know what's going to happen. I don't – I'm glad I didn't have to pick this fight. Um, it, at some point, you know, one of these guys needs to put a different wrinkle in their game. Is Vittori going to sit down on his punches more? Is he going to be – uh, a little more reckless is Cannoneer, who's ex- who is explosive, going to be less fearful to use that explosiveness? Like I don't know. I could see. I think the, one of the most interesting things that could happen in this fight is that one of these guys comes out, you know, well into their middleweight UFC run, you know, with a new wrinkle that catches the other guy off guard. Um, I don't know if we're going to see it, but I think it's at least possible. They, these are guys who need to be thinking after not being able to dethrone. Whitaker and Adesanya, they need to be thinking about what they can do to become more complete or more dangerous fighters. Uh, otherwise, what the hell are they doing there? So we'll see. I think they have been making shifts in their games, and I would say probably Vittori a little bit, a little bit more uh, than Cannoneer. Um, and and Vittori is like he's the one that switched teams recently. So on paper, 
now training at Extreme Couture, maybe he's the guy that can come in with some new. Yeah, and, and I mean new that. Looks. The thing about Cannoneer is that f- he came back from it amazingly, but also because Brunson gasped. But holy shit, Derek Brunson was destroying him in the first round of their fight. Yeah, it was like yeah, the he, best round of Derek. It's like the best round of Derek Brunson's career, and then he but gasped. The first completely. round of almost every fight is the goddamn best round of Derek Brunson's career. Like, yeah, it's just, it's but again, so but he the way he went at Cannonier is a high level guy. I just was, I was, it surprised me. Anyway, those are those are our picks. Um, I've got to go. All right, Nikolai, thanks, but, brother. Thanks excellent. Hey, always great seeing your face. All the parts uh-huh. of it, even the ones uh-huh. that are weird. Okay, even the, the zigzag nose. I wasn't talking. I wasn't even thinking about that. There's so many other weird parts to distract. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll see what ha- we'll see what happens. You could who knows? You could end up uh, you know ahead if you do if you go seven and zero and I go I'll end up seven. I'll end up I'll end up ahead sooner or later. Uh, it's just a matter of time, Nikolai. It's just a matter of time. Right. You're, you're on an like, upswing though. I got to give you credit, brother. You're, you're killing. Yeah, me. you should go. You should go talk to Diego Sanchez and you know continue your positive attitude. How dare you? I forget Diego Sanchez's former coach's name, but I'm going to see if he's willing to take out a new pupil. Yes. All right. Later, bud.